Are you looking to bet on all the big games in sports? Well, I got a great, great thing for you, folks. Head on over to betonline.ag on your desktop or your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get started. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all updated odds and info, along with player props and new contests throughout the year. It's the best source for all your sports wagering and also live betting and everyone's favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started. It's super easy to use. So join today. Learn why everyone is saying bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on sports. Bet online where the game starts. Before sunrise, Burn Dairy and Deli is preparing to fuel your day with hot coffee, donuts, muffins, breakfast sandwiches, and other morning staples. For lunch, grab a giant deli sandwich made the way you like it. Pizza, wings, wraps, or a fresh salad. Plus, something to wash it down. Then pick up dinner or a sweet treat and other pantry essentials. Now you can get your Burn Dairy and Deli favorites delivered with DoorDash. All day, every day, you can count on Burn Dairy and Deli. It's all good. Hi, this is Bob Costas, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter. The ML Sports Platter, all over the major platforms. Download, subscribe, leave feedback, and a five-star review. You can hit me on Twitter, at MikeLSports. We are brought to you by Burn Dairy, Burton Ace Hardware, and Brian Conboy of Mass Mutual New York State. Go get your tax-efficient retirement planning from Brian today on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and advisors.massmutual.com. Brian Conboy of Mass Mutual New York State is the official financial advisor of the ML Sports Platter. A quick tip of the cap thank you as well to the Vince Aguirre Consulting Group, Ken's Auto Detailing, and the Swan and Whitaker families for their support of the program. All right, before I get to Jay Skursky of the Buffalo News on a quick uh, crossover podcast from the Pandemonium podcast on the Built in Buffalo podcast network, I wanted to break down uh, for a few minutes the top wide receivers in the upcoming NFL draft. And, you know, look, as long as we are, um, you know, in this wave, this, this offensive explosion uh, wide receivers are going to be a plenty in the in 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 the draft, right? I mean, every single year there will be three, four, five, six guys taken um, in the first, you know, twenty picks, probably, uh, maybe more than that in the overall first round, and then you can get a bunch of great, great guys uh, in the second round, third, and beyond. And um, this this <laughs> this draft is uh, has no shortage here. Okay, I mean these guys. Should all be, um, you know, other than Jameson Williams, I mean, they, you know, because he had the ACL, he's battling back there. He tore that in the um, national title game, but um, I have absolute confidence that he will uh, come back fine from it and be an explosive big time player. Uh, the latest in the line of Alabama wide receivers when you're talking about, you know, guys like uh, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Jalen Waddell, um, you know, you're looking at uh, Devontae Smith. Um, all those play, all those wide receivers, and Alabama, as I've noted many times, I, I can't figure out if it's wide receiver you or if it's defense you or if it's if it's running back you with Derrick Henry, Mark Ingram, etc. It's probably just called everything you um, in the uh, in the Nick Saban era. So anyway, let's have a look at you know the top guys here, um, and I think you know I'll probably just kind of keep it to 
um, you know, my top 10, let's say. Um, number one, I think, is Garrett Wilson. I mean, he is going to be an excellent, excellent pro. He's got great size, great hands, elite speed. Uh, he runs perfect routes, and he's really, really a guy who is easy to coach, and he works his tail off. So I think that Garrett Wilson's the best wide receiver in this draft. Will he have the best NFL career? I don't know. That's part of the beauty of the NFL draft, but I think he's probably the best um, comes from a high-flying offense, played on the big stage every every Saturday in Columbus and beyond uh, on, on the road. Um, I think he's really, really good. And his rating, if you look at a lot of these you know, NFL draft boards and all the rest, his rating is around 93, 94. Uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty high. And I think whoever gets him will be very, very happy. Number two, I got Drake London. Um, you know, he's probably rating between a 92 and a 93, 93 and a half. And um, he had a totally dominating 2021 20, season. I mean, he showcased a ton of talent at USC, another big guy here, 6'5", 210, can go up and get it. Um, and as far as possession receivers go, he's the best. And so whoever gets him should also be really, really happy. My third best wide receiver in the draft, I'm going to go Chris Olave, the talented wide receiver out of the Ohio State University yet again. Despite his size, a little smaller, um, he's developing into a top prospect. There's no question. He'll have a chance to dominate. He'll have a chance to excel. Um, you know, again, a lot of the same traits as Garrett Wilson. I just think Garrett Wilson is faster and the hands are a little bit more superior and the route running is just, it's spectacular. The last two years in, at Ohio State, he's been running routes, you know, like he's been a pro. And it's funny because that's where a lot of college football playbooks are these days. You know, and it has a lot to do with what's going on with the offensive explosion and all these wide receivers and a ton of quarterbacks taken and all this sort of thing. And it's not going to change anytime soon. As long as it's an offensive game with the need to a degree of defense to stop that offense, you're going to keep seeing a ton of talent come out at the wide receiver position, the quarterback position, et cetera. It's just going to keep going and going because everybody's developing quickly uh, quicker at the high school level into college into the pros. It's just how it is. Um, I got Trey, uh, Traylon Burks from Arkansas. He's a 6'3", 225-pound guy who's big. He's physical. Uh, when you think about size, athleticism, and speed and that blend of those three things for a receiver, he's got it all. Um, I think he's going to go first round. I think he's going to go a lot higher than he – I think his stock has really climbed. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Trey – Lon Burks at, uh, at, at my next spot. Um, from there, you know, it's hard because I don't know where to put Jamison Williams. So I'll go ahead and throw, uh, Jahan Dotson out of Penn state in there at number six. Um, his athletic ability is terrific. Great season at Penn state. Um, and scouts have been paying more and more attention, uh, to him in, in, in the recent weeks here, he's grading out, you know, anywhere between like an 87 and like a 90, on a lot of boards. Um, I'll take him at five at number six. You know, it, it's, it's tough. Again, these Alabama guys, I just don't know. Um, I don't know like where to go with, with Jamison Williams, um, mostly. And, you know, I do, I do like Mechie, I will say, um, he's obviously been in the system uh, with Alabama, um, but I'm going to lean towards Georgia here. I'm going to go George Pickens in there at uh, my next spot at seven because um, I think he um, he could be a bust for sure. But if he booms, look out. 
I mean, he might be the biggest boom-bust prospect in the entire class. Any position. 6'3", 200. Um, wicked project, but immense potential. And it's good. it could very well go one way or the other, not, you know, landing in the middle. Um, and at 8, I've got... Uh, let's, let's take Jamison Williams. I would put Williams as high as 3 if I could guarantee that he'll come back and dominate and be the same player after the ACL. We've seen it before. We've seen guys tear ACLs. We've seen guys do, you know, do the Achilles thing and come back. But, you know, every single time that it's happened doesn't mean that it's going to happen the same way for the next guy. You know, their bodies uh, all react differently to that injury and to many other injuries. So I'm going to go ahead and I'll take, yeah, I'll go next. I, I think I'll take I'll take Williams, Jamison Williams, um, and then I think I'm going to go, I'm going to lean towards his teammate, John Mechie. I really like his game. Um, you know, he he entered the 21 uh, uh, college football season as an expected first-round pick, and he has not disappointed since. He's been absolutely terrific, right? Um, and then I got Kelvin Austin the third to round out my 10. Let me just make sure I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh no, I got two more, I think. Kelvin Austin the third. Um, I, I'm going to take him in there at number nine. I mean, he, he's going to offer an incredible speed upgrade to any team. He's a burner. He's a little short, five, nine, one seventy three, but that could work, uh, in the skill position, um, of, of slot receiver. Um, we'll see what happens there, but he is a major burner and he's going to be a fantastic pro in my opinion. And then the other guy that I would probably go with, I think is David Bell. I just like the 6'2", 6'3", 210 pound frame. He can burn it. He's quality. Um, he doesn't do anything spectacular, but he does everything well. And if you're looking for an outside receiver in this draft, you've got some really, really, really great goods there with David Bell. So again, another loaded wide receiver class, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Jamison Williams, Chris Olave, uh, Traylon Burks. You got Jahan Dotson, uh, George Pickens, uh, John Mechie, uh, Austin and Bell. Uh, you know, and then you look at guys like, uh, you know, Sky Moore, you look at guys like Christian Watson, it's loaded, it's deep, it's talented, it's great. And, uh, you know, we're going to get the next wave of really, really talented wide receivers. There's no doubt. Uh, about that. Before I get on over to Jay Skursky, a quick word from our friends at Athletic Greens. Folks, you know how important it is to stay healthy these days, right? Tons of people take multivitamins, but it's important to choose one that is top quality. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and more into your body to start your day right. Gut health, energy recovery, focus, and aging, and a heck of a lot more. That's what this special blend of ingredients supports. It's also lifestyle friendly and fits a wide range of diets. There's only one gram of sugar and no chemicals or artificial anything. Reclaim your health and arm your immune system today with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. Great stuff. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash believe. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. 
All right, let's get to it. Jay Skursky, Buffalo News, Bills beat reporter and insider. Uh, we got into so many great things in this podcast on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. It's called the Pandemonium Podcast. Please download and subscribe to that network. It's the only network out there doing seven days a week of Bills content. I mean, round the clock. These guys are after it every single day. Um, and I had a chance to talk to Jay Skursky about you know, the offensive formations that the Bills might roll out in 2022 will be a lot of 11 personnel, two tight end, etc. cetera. Uh, you got O.J. Howard, you have Jamison Crowder, you have Isaiah McKenzie, you have Duke Johnson, um, you know, all of that and more. Uh, the free agency period, the Bills' big splashes, Von Miller, um, you know, the, 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 the playoff picture in the AFC now, the uh, divisional challenge that the Miami Dolphins bring uh, now that Tyreek Hill is there. Um, so we got into all of that and a heck of a lot more. So here is Jay Skursky on the Pandemonium Podcast, part of this edition of the ML Sports Platter, brought to you by Burn Dairy, Burton Ace Hardware, and Stanley Law Offices. It is Bedlam! It is Pandemonium! It is Fandemonium! It is fantastic! It's your boy DM3, and you're listening to Pandemonium with Mike Lindsley on the Buffalo Bills, exclusively on the Built to Buffalo Podcast Network. What's up, Bills Mafia? I'm your host, Mike Lindsley. Make sure to follow and like us all over the social media platforms here at Built in Buffalo, including Twitter at built in Buffalo underscore. We're talking Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, you name it. We're all over the place and growing by the day. This is the pandemonium podcast on the built in Buffalo podcast network. And I am delighted to bring to the program uh, a guy who is just continuing to crush it, covering the Buffalo bills. Um, he's a Buffalo bills insider and reporter. And uh, we're going to get into all kinds of things with Jay Skursky with free agency and a heck of a lot more the Tyreek Hill deal, how it affects the Buffalo Bills. He is the Buffalo Bills beat writer and insider and reporter for the Buffalo News. Jay Skursky on Twitter at Jay Skursky. Hey, Jay. Hey, doing well. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Um, let's get into the Tyreek Hill move a little bit here. How do you think that it impacts the Bills from both the Chiefs and the Dolphins' standpoints? Yeah, I mean, starting with the Chiefs, I mean, he's really been probably, you know, next to Patrick Mahomes, of course, you know, maybe the number one thorn in the Bills side. Travis Kelsey's, of course, on that list, too. But, I mean, there's no question in the last couple of years, uh, the Bills have had a, a devil of a time trying to figure out how to defend Tyreek Hill. And, you know, you just look no further than the loss in the in the divisional round, uh, the you know, the touchdown that he has late. I mean, and just I, it really... Uh, even after the touchdown, just how much attention the Bills paid to him on the drive that the uh, that the Chiefs got into field goal range at the end of regulation. Um, he was clearly a player that the Bills were were terrified of uh, for good reason. So, you know, to see him uh, leave the Chiefs, I think in many ways hurts them. Uh, of course, you know we'll see how they how they replace uh, replace him. But when you you know, if you consider the Chiefs as being, you know, one of the, if not the biggest uh, barriers to the Bills getting through the AFC and ultimately to the Super Bowl, I think it helps in that regard. 
um, you know, clearly he makes the Dolphins better and he makes them uh, a tougher team to go up against twice in in a season. Uh, when you when you pair him with with Jalen Waddle, uh, you know that's a, a dynamic, potentially dynamic one two punch at receiver, very very fast. Uh, so they've really kind of given Tua uh, every available weapon. They've done as much as they can to, to give Tua every chance to succeed. Uh, I don't think it, you know, makes the Dolphins uh, the favorites in the in the AFC East. I think that's still the Bills. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't know that necessarily you just, when the schedule comes out, uh, either in April or, or in May, we're going to just automatically pencil in two wins against the Dolphins. I don't know that you can do that. So I definitely think that it strengthens you know, strengthens the Dolphins. I think it makes the AFC East a bit more competitive, at least between those two teams. Uh, and, and for the time being, I think it, it obviously weakens the Chiefs. The offseason has been wild for the Bills. Um, they've been bringing in people left and right. Um, outside of the Von Miller deal, and we'll get to that in a second, um, what, what deal do you think, Jay, is is going to end up being the one that has the most value with less splash. You know, the, the the Miller one has the most splash for obvious reasons. The guy is a Super Bowl champion times two. He's won a Super Bowl MVP. He's a generational sack guy, uh, edge rusher. He's going to the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. Obvious reasons, that's, that's the headline grabber. But other than that, what deal do you really like with, you know, potentially the most value uh, in a non-splash way? Probably the deal for Jameson Crowder, the the receiver, you know, at a you know about basically a two million dollar cap hit, and then we'll see with incentives, you know, could go up to four million, and and certainly the Bills would hope that he hits a lot of those incentives because that would mean that he's having a good season. But I think when you look at the way Cole Beasley was used in this offense the last couple of years, eighty two catches, I believe it was in back to back seasons, uh, there are clearly opportunities for the slot receiver in this offense, and I think Crowder. Uh, is a really good replacement. I think he's coming from uh, you know a situation in New York where obviously the quarterback play wasn't as consistent as what uh, he certainly is going to hope to have here with with Josh Allen as long as he stays healthy. And uh, I think you know based on that and, and based on his body of work with the with the Jets, um, even even with some uneven quarterback play, I think he's a guy that can put up some good numbers in this offense and. And to get him at the price that they did, I think, is is a real uh, opportunity signing, value signing for, for Brandon Bean. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Jay Skirsky is our guest, uh, Buffalo Bills insider, beat man, Buffalo News, of course. You can get him on Twitter, at uh, Jay Skirsky. I, I hear your dog in the background. What kind of dog do you have? I'm sorry about that. Yeah, that's uh, that's Lucy. She's a, she's a cockapoo. She's going a little nuts here. Let me just... <laughs> Step in, uh, into a quieter area there. No, no problem. We love dogs. They're always a part of the podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. Jamison Crowder, you brought up the the Isaiah McKenzie situation as well. They bring him back. Is does that look to you, Jay, like a straight platoon type of deal between those two guys? You know, that's a good question. Uh, I, I don't. I think it, it, it's more depending on the style of defense that the bills are going to see so if it's you know if it's a heavy zone team that they're going against i think you might see more crowder if it's a heavy man team i think you could see more of mckenzie so i mean i think what mckenzie proved at the end of last season uh particularly in that game against the patriots is that you know he he should have a role on this offense or he's, he's at least worthy uh of receiving a chance to have a role and 
you know, when you look at the contract that he signed, it's, it's clear that it's not going to be handed to him, right? He's going to have to go out and earn it again, which is nothing new for him. That's what he's had to do really throughout his NFL career. So I think that, you know, McKenzie is, is probably in line for some more snaps. But again, I think it's going to be scheme dependent. So I think, with, you know, the way that they balance the playing time between those two guys, uh, they're going to they're going to sort it out in training camp in the preseason. They're going to see it, particularly what Jamison Crowder's skill set is, what it, you know, what he does well, what he does best. And then they're going to use them accordingly. So I don't know that you have to put a, a, a snap number on it, say 60-40 or 70-30 uh, by way of snap counts. I think it's just going to be more scheme dependent and week to week dependent, which is something that Brian Dayball, you know, the former offensive coordinator talked all the time about was how, you know, he didn't want to be boxed into, well, this is our offense. This is what we do. They changed it up week to week. And, and I think there's a lot of logic in that. I think we could see more of that this season, particularly with those two guys. With OJ Howard coming in at tight end, along with Dawson Knox, could you see, especially because of Aaron Cromer at offensive line, um, and the new style, sort of more zone blocking and different scheming, not as much downhill and force pushing, you know, the, the offensive line down it, as far as their ground game is concerned. Could you see the Bills mixing and matching a little bit more, you know, pulling the slot and doing a two tight end set more often than not, Jay? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's why you bring in a guy like O.J. Howard is to unlock that potential. I mean, they really didn't have it last year with Tommy Sweeney, who was the backup tight end and, you know, was a healthy and active for uh, down the stretch and into the postseason. I mean, they were going, I mean, they were very thin at tight end last year. I mean, it was Dawson Knox who was, uh, you know, up over 80% consistently at the snap counts week to week, uh, sometimes 90%, maybe even hit a hundred percent in a few games. So, I mean, they relied on Dawson Knox heavily last year, and I think it was a priority for them to bring in a guy that they can either spell Knox with, or even, as you said, you know, use two tight ends on the field because I think that unlocks some pages in the playbook that, you know, that quite frankly weren't unlocked last year. It really wasn't an option. And I think OJ Howard, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of taking, he, he fits into that Crowder mold that we were talking about earlier in terms of the uh, potential payoff, right? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty low risk signing by the bills perspective. It's a one year deal. It's not huge money, but it's a former first round pick who clearly has some talent you know, had a situation there in, in Tampa Bay where he's behind Rob Gronkowski. He's dealing with injuries. Cameron Brait was getting playing time there, too. So for whatever reason, it, you know, it didn't quite work out the way O.J. Howard would have drawn it up. But this is, you know, this is an opportunity for, for both O.J. Howard to kind of hit reset on his career and for the Bills to potentially gain some pretty big rewards. So, yeah, I could see some two tight end sets being used this year for sure. All right, uh, a couple more here for you, Jay. Uh, again, Jay Skirsky, Buffalo News, uh, Buffalo Bills beat writer uh, for that terrific platform, at Jay Skirsky on Twitter. Um, they cut John Feliciano. They cut Darrell Williams. They cut, well, they you know, Harrison Phillips went to Minnesota for huge money. Considering who the Bills brought in, do you think they upgraded up front on both sides of the ball? Well, I think Roger Saffold is a, is a good uh, addition uh, on the offensive line. And, you know, we have to see now, you know, we're, we're kind of in this uh, holding pattern with uh, Ryan Bates signing an offer sheet with the, with the Chicago Bears. Um, you know, the Bills clearly prioritize bringing him back, at least in the sense that they put a, an offer out to him, a tender sheet, uh, or excuse me, they tendered an offer. Uh, so they want Bates back. It's just a matter of will they be able to fit him under the salary cap. Uh, that's going to be a bit of a challenge because we know that they are pretty tight up against the cap. So 
I would say that Saffold is probably an upgrade from you know what they had at left guard last year. Uh, the question is, you know, if you if you shift Bates from left guard over to right guard, the question is, is Ryan Bates as a full time starter an upgrade from Daryl Williams? I think that's a possibility. Bates is going to have to prove it, and then you know the big question is, if they don't bring Ryan Bates back, what do they do? I think that unlocks the potential for you know, a guard maybe even in the first round at number 25 because that's a, a big hole in your starting lineup. They don't have a lot right now in terms of holes in the projected starting lineup. I, I think cornerback is, is cries out as their biggest positional need still. And then if Bates is to leave, then I think, you know, right guard is, is right up there uh, in terms of uh, positional needs. So I, I, I think it's too early to say that the offensive line has been upgraded, I think, at best. Uh, if Bates is back, uh, you hope that Saffold is. But I think they really kind of hit their stride at the end of last year with Bates in that lineup at, at a you know at at uh, at guard. So you'd want to get him back. And I think if they're able to do that, then the potential is there that they're better. Uh, but it does open a lot of questions if he were to leave. Duke Johnson, what does he bring to the offense? You know, I think he's, I mean, I think he's squarely on the roster bubble, quite frankly. I mean, I, you know, when you look at the deal that he signed, it's a veteran minimum contract. Uh, we'll see what they do in the draft. If they were to add a guy who maybe has a bit more explosion out of the backfield uh, and, and can be that pass-catching option on third downs, uh, I think there would be, a, you know, a healthy competition for that roster spot. If they don't do that, if, Duke, if they do believe in him, uh, in Duke Johnson as a, as the third down back, I think he's going to be a guy that you're going to see utilized uh, most often in the passing game. I mean, that fits right in with his career numbers. We know that he is a good receiving option out of the backfield. So I think that's the role that you're looking at for him, that third running back. Uh, really, typically here in Buffalo the last few years, I mean, it's, it's a question mark as to whether he's even going to be active on game days, right? Because you go... Four, you got four running backs on the roster, but Taiwan Jones really should be counted as a special teams player. And then they're really they've only been dressing two of the running backs, whether that's Singletary and Moss last year or Singletary and Matt Breida. So I think it's going to be a challenge for whoever that third running back is to even get on the field. So what Duke Johnson is going to have to prove in training camp and in the preseason it, during the spring is that his receiving ability is such a benefit that they have to find a way to make him active on game day. I think that's going to take a lot for him to prove that. Can you believe the AFC? I mean, my goodness. Devontae yeah. Adams and Chandler Jones come over to the Raiders. Russell Wilson's a Bronco. Von Miller's a Bill. Uh, yeah. On and on it goes. Deshaun Watson to Cleveland. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's littered. Which team right now to you is the most scary in the AFC? Yeah, I was just thinking about that. You know, it's it's funny. I, I I'm kind of landing on the Chargers. I, I think I I really like a lot of what what they've done. Um, for some, you know, for whatever reason, they just haven't been able to. You know, they they seem to always be close. But I'm a, I'm a big believer in Justin Herbert as a, as a quarterback. I, I think he's tremendously talented. And then you know, you look at the moves that they made defensively to to bring in Khalil Mack to bring in. Uh, J.C. Jackson. They were able to re-sign Mike Williams. Uh, you know, we'll see what they add in the draft. But uh, with the AFC West, kind of, uh, I, I think it's sort of upside down a little bit now in terms of, you know, everybody was probably looking at the Chiefs as still being the the clear-cut favorites. Now, I don't know if you call them the clear-cut favorites. I think, you know, based on, you know, their their proven track record, you you'd probably still call them the favorites in the division. But without Tyree Kill, I think that shake thing, you know, really shake things up uh pretty substantially there so 
I, I mean, I'm intrigued by the, the AFC West as a whole. I just think the whole division is fascinating with Russell Wilson going to Denver and Devontae Adams going to the Raiders. But uh, I, I think the team right now that maybe is being, I don't even know if they're being slept on, but I, I don't know necessarily because there's been so many other moves that have been made. But I just, I think that the Chargers are kind of lying there kind of with a guy that I really believe in at quarterback. So I think they might be uh, one of those teams that, if they get in, you wouldn't want to see in the playoffs. They just got to stop going for it at their own twenty-two, you know, fourth <laughs> and long, right? Maybe to maybe yeah. to help out there. I yeah. have two super quick non-Bills questions to wrap up. Are people in Western New York starting to really say, "Hey, this Sabers thing might be turned around"? Finally, people are people yeah, I, in. I, I do get that sense a little bit. You know, I mean, I follow them closely. I grew up you know, going to Sabres games and was a huge Sabres fan. And, you know, I, I'm watching every game with my son who's eight and, and cool. he's into it. And, uh, you know, it's been a, a tough time the last oh, couple of years man. for him watching the, watching that team and me trying to tell him, well, you know, this is this is the plan. But at least you're starting to see some of that plan. And, and it is nice to see them in March here kind of having a, a pretty good run because that has been a terrible month for them. Uh, in the last few years, and and I do see, you know, some potential. I'm excited to see what Owen Power can bring to this team, Uh, you know, if he joins them after his college season is over. And then, you know, it's a huge, I think this is just a critical offseason for them with three first-round picks uh, and some young guys that you hope crack into the lineup, you know, by by next year. I think think next year you you really want to see them take a significant jump, turn themselves into a playoff team, and then, you know, you see where it goes from there. All right, final thing. You and your wife are both media stars. I mean, your your wife is, no, really, she's an Emmy and, and Murrow uh, winning anchor, WGRZ. You're doing crushing it, uh, covering the bills for the Buffalo News. It's quite the media power couple here. I mean, who's more who's more famous in Western New York, Jay Skirsky or 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 the beloved, uh, uh, probably compared to you, right, <laughs> Melissa Holmes? Well, who, who, well, if we're going to Wegmans or, or we're walking around the mall, my wife is certainly uh, more famous. Uh, sure. there's no question that she's. Uh, the one getting recognized, and I would say that she is the the star in this relationship. I'm just uh, trying to grind along and, and do a decent job, and you know, hopefully, people like what a you know what I'm I'm writing about the Bills. So that's very nice of you to say. But um, I will I will free you know frequently remind her just to bring her now down a notch once in a while that I have a few more Twitter followers than she does. But yeah, that's mostly that. uh, yeah. I think that's just a, a product of the immense interest that there is in the, in the Buffalo Bills and uh, it, you know, it comes with the territory, but in terms of getting recognized at Wegmans, uh, she is the star. by far. <laughs> She's got the awards. You've got the followers, right? I mean, it's, you know, she's got, you've got her by almost 5,000. So uh, yeah, let's see, that would be a cool little competition from now to the end of the year at the dinner table, you know, Hey, let, let's see who wins out on the Twitter follows. Well, this has been uh, terrific as I knew it would be Jay Skursky on Twitter at Jay Skursky, the Buffalo Bills beat man and insider for the Buffalo News. Jay, thanks as always, and uh, continued success, my friend. Yeah, I appreciate you having me back on. So I opened up the questions, obviously, with Jay on the Tyree Kill deal to Miami, and I wanted to kind of give my spin on it. Um, First of all, and as far as how it affects the Bills, right, from a Kansas City standpoint, this really brings them down a couple notches. I mean, it really does. I understand that they have Brett Veach, a general manager. I understand they've got Andy Reid. I understand they have Patrick Mahomes. I understand that they have Eric Bieniemy. I understand they have Travis Kelsey. 
I get that they've brought in Juju Smith-Schuster. Hardman has potential. They bring in Valdez Scantling from Green Bay. It'll be nice for Valdez Scantling to, uh, you know, actually have the quarterback look his way, right? Um, I, I get that. They have all those guys. They have Edwards Elaire. They have they have talented players across the board. They have they have veteran presences on both sides. They've been there, done that. Still a lot of championship pedigree on that roster. Okay, fine. But how many times? I mean, countless times, endless amount of times. When Patrick Mahomes is you know running all over the place, right? He's running for Hell's Half Acre uh, with like a chicken with his head cut off. He's trying to find somebody, find somebody, find somebody. Pressure from all angles. Got to improvise, and he just does that little flick of the wrist thing down the field. And there's Tyreek Hill, right? There he is, and it's because Tyreek Hill was running all over the place, and nobody can catch him. Then once he catches the ball, nobody can catch him. He can catch it deep. He can catch it short and take it to the house. Tyreek Hill makes that offense go round. I don't think there's any question about it, at least from a, a weapon standpoint, from a um, you know, from a wide receiver standpoint, from a space standpoint, all those things. We know that they wouldn't be anywhere with, without Mahomes. I get that. It's a quarterback league. But if you look at the way the Kansas City Chiefs offense is structured and how they operate, Tyreek Hill is really where it starts and ends in terms of gaining major yards with Patrick Mahomes at the helm. I think the Chiefs are still going to be okay. Um, not, I don't think Super Bowl contending okay. Um, they might, they might be in the thick of it, but I don't have them in the upper upper tier anymore. I don't. Um, <clears throat> I think they're probably in like you know. I mean, if you had to go one one A B one you know one one A two two A type of thing, uh, I probably have them in like one A or two. I really would. Um, you know, I, I think number one category, you you know, you'd probably have to throw Cincinnati just because they went there last year. You know, I think the Bills are in that group. Um, you know, I think, I think Denver's in that group just by, uh, you know, adding Russell Wilson. I mean, my goodness. Uh, so I, I, I'm not, Kansas City, man, losing Tyree Kill really, really hurts. Really, really hurts. And they're going to, you know, have trouble defensively this year. They're going to have to score more points because I don't think their defense is going to be anywhere near what it was last year, uh, the the best part of the defense, right? Like Honey Badger's not, you know, not going to be there anymore. Um, their defensive line's getting, you know, again another year older. Uh, they do have young players on there, but I mean, how many years can you, you know, really depend on on the veterans? Uh, they're weak at linebacker, you know. I don't know, man. Their secondary is shaky at best. I I, I don't know. I, th- that offense. That offense can have a lot of pressure to score points, and you just lost your number one weapon. So Kansas City down a peg. I think they'll be. I mean, you look at it right now. The AFC is so freaking loaded. I mean, you just, you know, you you better win your division in the AFC this coming year. I'm telling you, because there's only three wild card spots outside of that, and that's obviously with one that was added, you know, in the seventh spot. Look, you got the Bills, you have the Pats, you have the Bengals, you have the Browns, and you have the Ravens, you have the Steelers. They're all going to be, I think, vying for a playoff spot. You have the Titans and Colts. Matt Ryan comes over, you know, to the Colts. You have Ryan Tannehill and the Titans still dangerous, getting Derrick Henry back. You got the Chiefs, Raiders, Chargers, Broncos with Mahomes, Carr, Herbert, and Wilson. Khalil Mack, you know, going to the Chargers. J.C. Jackson to the Chargers. Raiders pick up Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones. My goodness. I mean, this conference, if you don't win your division, you're going to have to compete with six, seven, maybe eight teams in the wild card. For example, if you're the Bills, you win the division, okay. Uh, let's say the Bengals win the division, the Titans win the division again, and then let's say 
Denver wins the West, right? Well, if you're the Chargers, you got to compete with the Chiefs and the Raiders and the Colts and all the other AFC North teams and the Patriots, right? And now the Dolphins with with Tyreek Hill. Um, <laughs> those three wild card spots, man. The, the the competition for those it's unbelievable. Now, from a from a Miami standpoint, they become instantly better offensively. Obviously, I mean, when you add a player of the caliber of Tyree Kill, uh, it, it, it just changes the game. They're going to be able to put Tyree Kill on one side. They're going to be able to put Jalen Waddle on the other going into year two. They have Mike Gusecki at tight end. They have some major, major weapons. But the story is, and Jay Skursky alluded to it in the interview, can Tua Tungaviola perform, right? He's going into year three. We know he's fairly accurate uh, within a certain amount of distance. But when you start talking about the deep ball, and that's where Tyreek Hill thrives, okay? Uh, sure, he can catch it six to ten and take it to the house too. But if you send him, out, you know, if you burn him down the field, you know, is Tua going to be able to hit him? You know, I mean, we saw a lot of inaccuracies even last year with Waddle, who came on the scene right away, looked like an NFL vet out of Alabama. Um, you know, he struggled with throws to the tight end in big spots, struggles on third down, struggles with pressure. Um, you know, can't really throw on the run, even though he's a mobile quarterback and did so in college. He can't really do it in the NFL like he did in, in college. I don't know if that's a, a result from um, confidence lost, injuries, uh, lack of arm strength, maybe a little bit of everything, footwork slowing down because of the injuries. But he doesn't throw it on the run like anywhere near what Mahomes does or or Allen or Burrow or Lamar or, you know, I mean, he just he just does Russell Wilson. He just, he just doesn't. And so it's going to all come down to Tua. This is a no-excuse situation for Tua Tunga-Viola and the Miami Dolphins, right? I mean, let's be honest. The the one area where I would be concerned if I'm a Dolphins fan, I, I'm, I'm not really worried about the capital in the draft because you just don't know. You, you have no idea if any of those picks are going to amount to anything. you got a bona fide, immediate guy in Tyree Kill who's a game-changer, who's arguably the best receiver in the game. In fact, you know, you think about these wide receivers, you know, I mean, Devontae Adams now in Oakland, and then, you know, with that addition of subtraction for the Chiefs, that's that's a that's a tough deal if you're a Chiefs fan. But I wouldn't be worried about these draft picks for Miami as much. I really wouldn't. I mean, it's a it, it it's a first, second, and fourth this year, which which really is the meat and potatoes of it, and, and that's where it hurts you because it's it's immediate. It's first, second, and fourth. It's not really really late. You can get three really solid solid players uh, with those picks. And then the fourth and sixth round picks in 2023, I'm not really worried about those. Where I would worry if I'm a Dolphins fan is I'm sitting here going, you know what? We have a dysfunctional franchise, and we have a really, really, really shaky quarterback. Still, right? We have a shaky defense. We're still behind the Bills in the division. I would be super concerned about just, look, it, it's the Dolphins fired Brian Flores, okay? And I understand that he had friction with his staff, and he's a really, really hard guy to get along with and all these other things. But this guy, and I know he didn't make the playoffs, but he came close. I think he had a winning record every year he was there. Um, but they canned him, just like, bang, snap of a finger. Like, he was out. I mean, it was it was shocking to most people around the NFL world. I mean, it really was. Miami's a dysfunctional franchise. They haven't had a franchise quarterback since Dan Marino. 
Uh, they've gone through some horrific seasons. They don't really draft well. Um, that, you know, all that stuff. They gave Tyreek Hill, you know, the yacht and the house and the Lamborghini and everything else. I mean, 70 plus million dollars guaranteed in that extension that they gave him. That's a lot of cheese. Um, look, they, 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 they added a difference maker, an instant difference maker. The Dolphins are now a team that you look at differently. That's what a Tyreek Hill does. If I'm a Dolphins fan, I'm still kind of nervous about the structure and the culture and things that are going on. Mike McDaniel, you know, you look at him and you say, okay, you know, here's an offensive guru here who, you know, comes over from, from the, uh, you know, the, the, the Shanahan coaching tree, right? I mean, my gosh, how many times do we have to hear about, you know, uh, coaching trees in the NFL? Good grief. But he was a longtime assistant to Mike and Kyle Shanahan. Um, you know, he was an assistant, uh, he was a coaching intern with the Broncos and then he's been an assistant, uh, and, and then a coach in several different areas, a run game coordinator, whatever title it may be. He's been with Denver and Houston and, uh, 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 Washington and Atlanta and Cleveland and San Fran. Right. Um, and he comes over from San Fran as their offensive coordinator now running the show in Miami. At least if you're a Dolphins fan, you're thinking, okay, hey, we, at least we got an offensive guy here. That's a big difference, right? He's going to be innovative. He's going to be running all kinds of different plays with Tyreek Hill. A lot of jet sweeps, a lot of motion, a lot of trickery, a lot of Shanahan-esque things. But again, this is all going to come back to Tua. And that's all this, it comes back to Tua. You've got all the weapons in the world now if you're Tua. There are no excuses in 2022 for the Miami Dolphins. It is playoff or bust and that resides with the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. Period. End of discussion. Tua Tunga Viola, the pressure's on. That's all there is to it. I'm Mike Lindsley. This is the Pandemonium Podcast on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. Make sure you follow us all over social media. Thanks again to Jay Skursky from the Buffalo News. I'm Mike Lindsley. Thank you for listening, Bills Mafia. As I always tell you, enjoy the games. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.